This morning we are uh, on our fourth of our axioms. Uh, so far, if you remember, uh, we have talked about God is love, so it is all about love. God is present and always at work. God is just like Jesus. And then today we will have our fourth axiom, uh, which is maybe not quite self-explanatory the way some of the other ones have been, but that God meets us in our messy reality. Uh, last week, as a part of the sermon, we kind of did a quick little Bible study where we kind of walked through uh, Luke's gospel and looked at some of these different uh, stories and different names. We could do something very similar uh, this morning. I'm not going to, but just kind of want you to think about it because when we talk about a messy reality, uh, there's a lot of different things we could talk about. And a lot of those characters, we could go back through Luke's gospel and we could see a lot of those stories from Zechariah to the shepherds, to the soldiers, uh, to uh, the man or the man with the unclean spirit, to the passage we read last week with Simon Peter making the proclamation that I am a sinful man, the calling of Levi, or who we call Matthew, uh, the centurion. You could just walk through those stories and you could see kind of a messy story after messy story. Uh, Zechariah is a messy story. These are all kind of messes that we see that are everywhere that go throughout the story. I want to uh, remind you of something where we, where we ended last week because it kind of plays into this week. Where we ended last week was with this statement, God doesn't despise the sinner. He desires to be with the sinner, to heal and forgive and save the sinner. And so that, that feeds into this week, that feeds into where we are going to talk about our messy reality, to understand that, that we, our lives sometimes get messy. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about kind of what that, that looks like. But here's kind of the, the big statement that, that I want to make to kind of, I've told you, we're going to build on these every week. So this kind of builds, pulls this all together, that the God who is love, who is always present and at work, we're going through our, the axioms, if you haven't noticed. The God who is love, who is always present and at work, who looks just like Jesus, always meets us right where we really are, in the middle of whatever mess we find ourselves in. So when we read these stories, when we talk about these stories, we are reminded that God sees your brokenness, that God sees our brokenness. The heart of this axiom is that God wants to be a part of your life, whatever mess your life might look like. God doesn't wait for us to get perfect in order to be a part of our lives, or we would all be waiting forever. God wants to be a part of our messes. One of the other stories we could go through with the Gospels, we could talk about the Pharisees, and one of the things that we see in the religious leaders and that we see in the Pharisees throughout our New Testaments is is living a life of someone kind of keeping Jesus at arm's length, not being honest with the struggles that they go through, not letting God move into their lives. And that is not the life that I want to live, and I don't think it's the life that you want to live. But to live a life where we understand that we have a messy life, and as a part of that mess that we invite God into that mess. So today what I want to do is I have three questions I want to go through these three questions, uh, it's a pretty kind of simple thing. I wanna walk through these, so I'll show you the questions and then we'll go through them a little slower. Okay, so here are the three questions that I'm hoping to answer by the time we're done today. So the first part is, what do we mean by messy? All right, I keep saying a messy reality. What do we mean by messy? The second part is, messy's 
also a soccer player I'm aware of. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, why don't I allow, as in us, why don't we allow God into my messy reality? Why do we want to kind of be like the religious leaders, like the Pharisees, and keep him at arm's length? Why, why do we live that way? And then the third one is how, and I, I debated here, I do this sometimes, I debated which, which word to use. How do I allow or how do I invite God into my mess, into my messy reality? What does that look like? So those are the three things that I, I want to talk about today. If you're sitting here thinking, you know, Pastor, I, my life is perfect. I have, nothing, I have no messes in my life. This sermon doesn't apply to me. It's worth listening because um, you might have somebody you love that feels that way, all right, that maybe does have a mess. So we, we all, that was a joke. We all have a mess, okay? There are all places in our lives where we have kind of a mess. So let's talk about that. What do we mean by messy? So the first piece is, is that in order to uh, kind of talk about a messy reality, these are those moments in our lives, we've all been there, where you get into a situation and you just kind of think like, this is not good. There's a lot of kind of ellipsis that kind of end in these, these statements. This is not good, dot, dot, dot. Or how did I get here? Or I was not prepared for this or there is no good way out of this, or I can't see a way out of this, or I don't think I can fix this. And we end up in those moments where we feel that we just are kind of stuck in a story that we don't know how it's going to end. We don't know what comes next. When I was in the fifth grade, uh, I had to write, you know, we had to do book reports, and I don't know if y'all, this might be a surprise for some of y'all. Hopefully it'll be a surprise for most of you. I, as a fifth grader, I was a lazy student and I had to write a book report and the book I was assigned was a really good book. It's called The Whipping Boy. I remember exactly what the book was about and I didn't finish the book before the report was due. And so when I, got, when I kept writing, I got as much writing done, like two pages or whatever I had to do. I got to that point and I was tired of writing the paper and I hadn't finished the book. And so I just finished the book report of, and if you want to know what's going to happen next, you need to read the book. Those kind of papers do not get A's, just so y'all know. Uh, it did not go well. My teacher somehow saw through my statement. Uh, but, but we all kind of have those moments in life where we're like, I don't know how this, I, here I am, and whatever is going to happen next, I don't know how this is going to work out, and I don't think it's going to work out good. Like, th this could be ugly, and we get in those moments where we just kind of have those places that we end up in that, in that way. Now, let's kind of talk about how do we get there, okay? So I kind of have three kind of commonalities or three, three different things that happen that get us there. The first one is, is sometimes we just end up there and we don't, we don't know how we got there. We did nothing to get us into the mess, okay? This happens sometimes. This happens. Sometimes people pass away and, it's, and it kind of leaves us in a lurch or it leaves us in a mess. And we did nothing to get there, okay? That, that happens. We were in Kansas City this week with good friends and one of our, our really good friends was adopted. And he's in his early 50s now. And so he was telling Heather, because of kind of just the way technology has changed and information has changed, he for the first time has had the ability to get his original birth certificate. He's never known his birth mother. So he got his original birth certificate, looks up his birth mother on 
uh, social media finds her, but she had passed away, and so he, but he also found that he has at least half siblings, because he doesn't know any of the story. They could be full siblings for all he knows, probably not. They could be full siblings, but so he begins kind of, it's a really long story, but begins contacting them, and you just kind of have to stop and think through of like, what would it be to get an email from a stranger that says, your mother had another child? And, he, and he's just kind of grappling with this and, and, and trying to put, keep himself in their heads because they didn't respond initially very well to that. But you think like that's, for them, I think they would probably tell you like, that's a little bit of a mess. And they didn't do anything for that mess. And they kind of have to figure out how to walk through that mess. But that happens to us. Sometimes we end up somewhere and it's nothing that we did. It's nothing wrong that we did. There's diseases, people pass away, situations happen. Those things are just messes that we did nothing to get there. So that's kind of the, the first piece. The second kind of mess that we end up in is sometimes we end up in a mess and we are absolutely to blame. We made a bad decision. We did something we shouldn't have done and we're in a mess and we're the ones that have a great deal to do with causing that mess. No one in this room's ever been in that type of mess, I know. But people, that was a joke again. We, we, we all end up in those messes different times. Something that we have done to end up in that mess. And then there's kind of the, the third piece of this. Mess one, we did nothing to get there. Mess two, we did something to get there. And then mess three is we did nothing to get there, but once we got there, we made bad decisions that made it worse. Okay? We've all been in those kinds of messes too where something happens where, where we did something that we shouldn't have done. When we were with our friends in Kansas City this week, uh, we, were, we were telling uh, different stories. And my friend Theron told, us a sto- or told me a story. They've, they've been in the same church ever since they started uh, college. And, and Theron has been in leadership, been on the board, all those kinds of things. And so he was talking to uh, one of the pastors who's been there since Jesus was on staff. I and mean, he's been there forever. And he was telling him a story about a man in their church who was as a Vietnam vet, was in Vietnam, came home, and has been a model church member ever since Vietnam. He's been an usher, he's been a board member, he's been very, very involved in that church. And in the past month, he came to the staff member and said, I have a confession to make. Every night since I've gotten home from Vietnam, I've had two bottles of vodka before I go to bed. Now, how in the world the man's liver is still functioning, I don't know. But he had gone through his entire adult life. I mean, 50 years almost. What he saw in Vietnam, some of you could imagine, I cannot. The horrors and the things that he saw, I I have... It's unbelievable to even imagine. And for him to know that he felt like there was only one thing that would help take those memories and take those images away. And to know that he's, he's held this other secret, this entire, and his family has held this secret. But to know that kind of this initial mess that he, or that his life was of being in Vietnam is nothing that he did, but the thing, the choices he made after that, that I'm not judging because it's, it's an unbelievable, the first piece is an un, kind of unbelievable piece. But to know that sometimes we end up in messes that aren't from our own choosing, but then also 
we don't do things to make it better. And to know that, that those types of things happen. And what I want you to hear this morning is the incredible news, whether this is a mess that just was thrust upon you, whether it was a mess that you chose to be a part of, whether it's a mess that was thrust upon you and you made it worse. Whatever category your mess is, I have the same news for you. That God cares deeply about your mess. That God wants to be a part of your mess. Whether it's your fault or not, whether you've made it worse or not, that God cares deeply about you. That God wants to be a part of whatever it is we're facing. So the first question is, what do we mean by mess? The second question is, is why don't we allow, or why don't I allow God into my mess or into my messy reality? So let's kind of talk through, I've got some points that we can talk through about this. The first piece of this is, is that we do what humans do. We hide our brokenness. We are really, really good at not being honest with ourselves. And we are really, really good at not being honest with other people. And because we're not always honest with ourselves and we're not always honest with other people, we also find that a lot of times we're not honest with God. We get really good at hiding our brokenness. We get really good at hiding what's really going on in our lives. We get good at hiding our struggles. So the first piece of this is that we hide our struggles. We hide our brokenness. Why do we hide our brokenness? We do this out of shame. We do this out of fear. We do this, men, because we believe deep down, I can fix this. That's why we hide. Back a few weeks ago when I preached on lying, I used a quote uh, that, that fits perfectly into this. this. This is what I said on that week. We often lie because we don't want our limits exposed. We fear our foolishness will be on display. Why do we hide our brokenness? For the same reason we lie. Because we don't want our limits exposed. We don't want people to know our foolishness. So we hide. One of the other reasons why we don't always allow God into our messes is that we're really good at concealing our mess with hypocrisy. If you go back and if we go back through Luke and we read all of these passages, we see time and time again that Jesus will make an accusation to the religious leaders. He calls them what? Hypocrites. At the core of hypocrisy, what is going on? At the core of hypocrisy is there is something going on inside of me. But what's going on on the outside of me, I don't want to admit. And it doesn't coincide with the inside. It's when our outsides don't match our insides. We're going to talk about this in just a little bit when we get to Romans chapter 8 as we kind of go through and talk about the uh, little bit of living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh. But hypocrisy is, is those things that we kind of keep hidden in our lives. What's going on in our life is hidden from the outside. We don't admit it. We don't want to confess the struggles that we have. We think about this, if there's a sin or an addiction that we're hiding, that we want to live our lives free from that addiction or free from that sin, but instead, we go back to hiding. 
We go back to hiding our brokenness because of fear, because of shame, because we think that we can fix it. But my life and my heart don't line up. And we carry these things. They're burdens that we carry upon our lives that are very, very heavy. Sometimes in order to fix it, we we do what's, what's the next thing. Which the next piece of this is that we overlook our mess with spiritual bypassing. Now that's probably a new term for most of you. It was a new term for me recently when I read this book. But look at, look at the way I wrote these. We conceal, okay? We conceal our mess with hypocrisy. And then the second one, I chose these words on purpose, we overlook it with spiritual bypassing. Now, what, what is spiritual bypassing? And I wanna be, do the very, very best I can here to explain it, because it's important. Spiritual bypassing is, is when we just kind of use the language of God to, and I put in quotes here, fix our problems. So I'm struggling with something. If we use what we did earlier, if there's an addiction or a, a hidden sin or something in my life that I'm struggling with, and I think, you know, what would fix it is if I just, I'm just going to memorize a Bible verse, that'll fix it. Or I'm just going to read another book, that will fix it. Or I have all of these kind of external things that are God things, that are good things. Memorizing scripture is a good thing. It is a good tool. But spiritual bypassing is, is when we use spiritual things to kind of put a Band-Aid on my sores or a Band-Aid on what really hurts. And what I want you to hear today is it's not about putting a Band-Aid on it. It's about inviting God into it. There is a difference between just putting a Band-Aid on the places in our lives that are a mess and saying to God, God, I need you to bring life here. I want to invite you into this. And spiritual bypassing is that idea of just kind of, I'll put some flowery language on it, I'll put some God language on it, and I'll just keep moving, but I'm not actually going to get God involved. Does that make, do you see the difference? I want God to be involved in my mess not just overlook it or not just move past it. So why don't I allow God into my messy reality? Because I want to hide my brokenness. I want to conceal it. And that usually happens through hypocrisy or I want to overlook it and just kind of put a God bandaid on it and keep moving. Okay, let's go to the third question. We're gonna move through these kind of quickly so we can get to the end. How do I allow, allow or invite God into my messy reality? All right, it's where the rubber meets the road. How do we invite God into our messes? Well, it starts off with us attuning to reality. We give ourselves the permission to be where you are. Whatever it is that we face, whatever mess we find ourselves in, the first step is to just say, this is where I am. Okay? Whether I got there because it's my fault or not, this is where I am. Give yourself the permission to be where it is. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to beat yourself up. This is where I am. But a part of that is also admitting the details of my messy reality. There might be someone to blame. That someone might be you. It might be no one. But knowing that you might need to confess, to accept where you are, admit where you are. All right? The next piece is that accept. 
except God meeting you right here in this mess. God doesn't want to go around it. God wants to be in the midst of it. The God of our Bibles is a God that wants to be in the middle of your mess. He doesn't want to ignore your mess. He doesn't want to walk around the mess. One of my favorite sermons of all time uh, from my pastor as a teenager and through college, Gary Henneke, and I've probably told you all this story before. One of my all-time favorite sermons was a Sunday night sermon. And I can even remember, I was on staff. The next day, I told Pastor Henneke, I said, last night was the best sermon I've heard you preach in years. It was phenomenal. And I can remember him saying, all I did was tell the story. And I said, yes, and the story's incredible. But I can remember exactly the point of his sermon. I'll give you his whole sermon in hopefully less than a minute. Here you go. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus walks on the water, do you remember the disciples, they are straining against the oars. They are in the middle of a storm. And Mark's gospel gives us this little tiny little detail that says, while he was watching them. While he was watching them. And then Pastor Henneke made this statement. Whatever mess you find yourself in, whatever storm you find yourself in, know one fact. He sees you. He's watching you. Even when you're straining against the oars and you think no one sees you, we serve a God who sees you, who knows what you are struggling with, who knows where you are. So I want you to hear those words, whatever it is that we struggle with, God sees you, mess included. And the next one is that God loves the actual you. I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Mess included. God doesn't, you think, well, God, God, can, God can't love this mess. God can't love what I've done. God can't love me where I am, that I need to present myself as someone else for God to love me. That is not true. Whatever mess you find yourself in, whatever mess your family member finds themselves in, whatever mess your best friend finds themselves in, whatever mess there is, God loves you right in the middle of the mess. God loves your child right in the middle of their mess. God loves you. Mess included, luggage included, or baggage included, everything else that comes with it, God loves you right where you are. And we need to be reminded of that. Let's look at our, our passage for today, and I'll kind of pull all this together. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It'll be up on the screen. Paul writes these words to the church in Rome. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Okay, so Paul here, and y'all have heard me preach on this passage before. Paul's giving us kind of two different ways to live our lives. We can live life in Greek, katasarks or katasarka, according to the flesh, or we can live our lives the way that Paul is calling his, the people to live according to the spirit. And so Paul tells us, let me remind you, if you live your life according to the flesh, this is what your life is going to look like. Okay, so verse six. Now, 
The mindset of the flesh, this, this is what this mindset looks like, leads where? To death. If, if, if we set our minds on the things of the flesh, okay, that's, that's the things that pass away, this flesh, our lives, that, that leads to death. But the mindset of the spirit, there's what? Life. And Paul reminds us it's not just life, it's life and peace. That even in our messes, when we tune our lives and point ourselves back to the Spirit, there is life and peace. Verse 7, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, you, however, aren't living in the flesh. Where are you living? In the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. In verse 11, where it all lands. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Pause for a moment. And get the imagery of what Paul is saying here. That that Easter morning, all of life was over for those disciples. All of their hopes and their dreams of this man named Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was coming to set all things right, everything was gone. Life was over. He was in a tomb. He was dead, never to come out. And Paul says, don't forget that imagery. Because in that tomb, the Spirit entered that tomb and breathed life into his body. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives, where does that spirit live? In us. If that spirit lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will do what? Will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who lives in you. Let's, let's skip down just a couple more verses. If you go down to verse 27... Or sorry, verse 26. In verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, let me pull all this together with a couple things. Emily, I just went out of order and I apologize. The last thing that I want you to see, we talked God loves the actual you, mess included, but God doesn't just love you, God actually delights in meeting you where you are even in your messy life. 
God doesn't run from your mess. God doesn't hide from your mess. God delights in being with you, even in spite of the mess. To know that whatever it is that we face, whatever it is we think is too much, that God is present, that he delights to be there. So I have one more question. I said we had three, I have four. One more question. The question is this, what if, pastor, what, what if my reality is really, really messy? What, what if it's a little worse than what you think it could be? What about that? Then I would kind of go through some things that, that you need to be reminded of. First off is that we have to, as we've talked about in this series on truth, we have to acknowledge the truth. Believe it or not, the mess is easier to deal with than to ignore. It's easier to just go through it and to invite God in the midst of it than to ignore it. The other thing we have to do is is that we have to name the bad stuff. That there are things in our lives that we just need to call out. Whether they're decisions we've made, whether they're things that we talked about that have been thrust upon us, sometimes we just need to name those things. And then lastly, to be able to face those things. Now, I want to use an example, and I've used this example before, but this week as I've worked on this, it keeps coming back to me. The verse I read for y'all, Romans chapter 8, verse 27, there's actually a translation of it that I like a little bit more than the translation in the CSB. And the translation comes from the Kingdom New Testament. In the Kingdom New Testament, uh, they translate it a little bit differently. I've got it up here. They take this little statement, the searcher of hearts, and make it into a title. It says, and the searcher of hearts knows what the Spirit is thinking because the Spirit pleads for God's people according to God's will. And I, I used this as a sermon illustration. It was, it was probably years ago. But in that, that statement, when I, when I read that, the searcher of hearts, in my mind, what it does is it takes me back to uh, police officer shows or detective shows. And the one that I first noticed this in was CSI, and that was like 15, 20 years ago. Y'all remember the show CSI? And on CSI, we, we just watched another, or watched some of a, a newer one called Will Trent. Every, every cop show or detective show, they all do the same thing. And, and if, I, if you don't know this, once I tell you, you're going to see it, and then it's going to drive you bonkers. But they go into a place where a crime has been committed, and they go into, like, somebody's apartment, or they go into somebody's house. It's at night. All the lights are off. And if you notice, they don't ever turn the lights on. You ever notice that? They, they never do. And so they walk around. If you'll, John, if you'll turn the lights off, they walk around like this. Have you ever noticed? They'll go into a room, it'll be completely dark, and they never turn the lights on. And whatever they're looking for, they're always using a flashlight looking for that big piece of evidence. And I always think, like, why don't you just turn the lights on? But this is what they do. They've got their flashlights. And when I read this verse, and the searcher of hearts, this is the image I get of our God. A God who walks into the dark places of our lives, 
the places that we think are so well hidden that no one can see them. And he walks into those dark places and the spirit turns on the flashlight and says, whatever it is you think you're hiding from me, you're not hiding it from me. Now, I want you to hear, that's not a threat. That's not bad news. That's the best news. Because the devil tells us you need to hide it from God. And I want you to hear this morning that whatever it is, God doesn't want you to hide it from him. Because we can't. And Paul tells us in Romans, the searcher of our hearts knows, even in those moments when we don't know what to pray, is the verse before this says, that even the Spirit can pray for us when we have lost the words. That is the God who wants to walk into the mess of your life. Whether you caused it, whether someone else caused it, it doesn't matter. God wants to free you from that mess. I want you to look at one more passage. We can turn back on the lights. One more passage. Ezekiel. This is the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, but I want you to just see this is something that has literally stuck out to me this morning. I just added this passage this morning. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel goes out to the desert and says, he led me all around them. There were a great many of them, we're talking about bones, a great many of them on the surface of the valley and they were very dry. Verse three, then he said to me, okay, hear this. Here is the story that we know of the valley of dry bones. The valley of dry bones is a place where there is no life. It is marked by death. It is marked by dryness. It is marked by no life. One of the the first speakers at NYC made the statement to us. The one thing that we know about water is, is that water gives life. Places where there is no water, guess what? There is no life. The mess. Whatever mess it is in your life that you are facing you may feel there is no life there. I've been abandoned. I've been left alone. This mess is more than you know about, Pastor. There is nothing there. It is death. It is dryness. So God says to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? What does God say back? Or so what does Ezekiel say back? I replied, Lord God, only you know. For some of us this morning, there might be places in our lives that are dry, that are dead, that are a mess. We say, God, only you know if you can bring life. But I've tried to bring life to it and I can't do it. I need you to bring life. I need you to enter into this mess. God says, do you you believe that in your brokenness, do you believe that in your mess, do you believe in your heartache, do you believe in whatever this is that I could actually bring life there? And for us to have the confidence to say back to God, God, only you know. 
Because you are the one that has to do it. Now we know the rest of the story with the dry bones. That they got up. That muscle was added, that, that sinew was added, and eventually that breath was added. And this morning as we wrap up, my hope and my prayer is, is that we as God's people, whatever it is that you are facing, that you know that God cares about it more than you realize. That we invite God into those dry places. We invite God into that desert, into that mess, and say, God, I need you to bring life. Because I can't bring life. Lord, only you can do that. Today, as John comes, we're going to sing a song that, that all of us know very well, but a song to remind us that it is God who gives that life. But this morning, for some of us, we might need to find a place to just say, God, I have lived with this mess so long. I have kept it to myself for so long. I need you. I need the Spirit to breathe life like it did on that Easter morning. To breathe life into my life. Into these dark places. Most of you kind of know the routine. If you would like to pray with the pastor, Pastor James will be right over here. If you would like to be anointed for healing, I'll be right here to your left. But if you need to find a place at an altar just to pray and just say, Lord, I need you. I need life from you. I can't carry this on my own. I can't hide it and I'm doing a terrible job hiding it. Lord, give me breath. Give me life. Lord, I need you to breathe into my life. Let us stand as we sing.